It's here! Our Bible app finally has a launch date. If you want to get the app for free when it drops, simply go to ourbibleapp.com and sign up. All bets are off when it launches, so hurry up and do it now. It's your chance to get free devotionals, free Bibles, and access to books and media you can't get anywhere else. Oh, and did I tell you you can chat with folks around the world? Yeah, it's totally happening. Thanks to our Bible app, none of us are alone in our faith, even the youngins. So hop on in it. Ourbibleapp.com slash yay! You are listening to Lord Have Mercy, a podcast about God, sex, and the Bible. I'm your host, Crystal Cheatham. Today, the great, the ever-admirable, and ever-forward-thinking Peterson Toscano is here. He's here to talk about climate change. Not that I'm interested at all, maybe, well, a little bit, um, but hopefully he'll be able to change my mind, and maybe yours, about things that we can do when it comes to climate change. And now, Mr. Peterson. Where should we start today? Well, um, I think what I want to definitely help your listeners to know right away that the conversation is going to be fun and free of fear and shame. Because Mm. when you're talking about this issue, there's a lot of fear and shame. And we know from anti-LGBT religious shit that fear and shame is not helpful. Yeah. No. I mean, I guess... When it comes to climate change, I've always just felt kind of hopeless, helpless, you know, just like, well, what else could I be doing? And so it was reassuring to know that um, my government had taken such a strong stance for climate change. And now that we're in this like weird Trumpian regime, I'm I'm terrified a little bit that my recycling isn't enough and driving a Prius isn't enough, you know? So <laughs> what? Well, uh... I am here to give you hope and direction and to clarify some of that stuff because, Preach. you know, Reverend in a way you're right. You know, in certain ways, it's always been not enough, these individual behavioral choices because they've been putting it on the consumer to fix a problem that is not our problem to fix. Okay. And this is where the shame comes from. Yes. Because like you're a naughty producer. I mean, you're a naughty, you're a naughty consumer. You need to buy the right products. Yeah. Lots of gaslighting. Excuse me. A lot of this is out of my control and you're dealing with, you have to deal with the, the wellhead where this stuff is coming from. Yeah. And so, yeah, we can have this great conversation and I'm going to keep it like friendly and hopeful and, um, yeah. Okay. So. That's wonderful. So just for my just for my listeners, um, I fucking love Peterson Toscano. And he was on my podcast. Um, he was one of the first three, I think, who jumped on here with me. And we had such a great time um, that I labeled it part one, because I knew that I would have to have him back. And ta-da! Surprises for everyone. Peterson is back. Um, and he's going to do something scary. He's going to talk to us about climate change, like you probably heard. But um, at this moment, just to paint the picture, I, I do feel shamed about climate change. I feel like... Um, I feel like... Like I am alone in the Garden of Eden and I'm naked and I've just ah. discovered that I am naked, right? So I am like shameful and, you know, I don't know, you know, what, what's been going on with like a snake. 
and Adam and Steve. Okay, okay. back it up. Back the shit up. Yeah, wait. There is no need for the fear and the shame and the hopelessness. Okay, because this is one of the problems. I'm so glad that as a as a gay guy, I'm getting involved with climate change because I have to say, heterosexuals they just want to scare the snot out of everybody (laughs) and make us feel so guilty. And I'm like, there are other ways of talking about this stuff that. that I think really need to be talked about. And so one of my jobs as a climate communicator and a comic and a storyteller is to just disrupt these normal ways of talking about it because they, they're not helpful. And I don't even think they're honest. Okay. Not that there aren't serious issues that we're looking at, but this gloom and doom scare the snot out of everybody is a terrible way of going about it. It doesn't lead to action and it definitely doesn't lead to any clarity. So let's, let's crack this open. So if I'm not the one who should be naked in the garden of Eden, who, who should be ashamed of themselves right now? Well, you know, the, the issue is so often it has been the consumer. We've been blamed. Like you're so naughty. You just have been, you've been, just burning those fossil fuels. You're disgusting, immoral fossil fuel lifestyle, right? Not in a sexy way. Yeah. No. And in a way we are trapped in a system where we've been lied to Mm -hmm. about our energy. I mean, for years, the fossil fuel industries actually knew that it was dangerous, that, that it was causing pollution that was heating the planet. They knew this. And just like the tobacco industry, they deceived the public. Yeah. The federal government, also knew about this as well. And so in part, the ones that should be ashamed would be the fossil fuel industry and and the U.S. government. Yeah. Um, And I think that there's a way forward. I mean, I don't think it's about just punishing people, but it's about getting people to repent, kind of to go back to our old-time religion roots. You know, let's and call people to repentance so that we can have some new life going on here. Yeah. And and really what it comes down to is a pollution problem. Okay. And what we're told is if we each just do our part, it will magically add up and address this pollution problem. Okay. And that's that's dishonest, actually. Okay. So So, I I remember, it does sound like a common sense kind of thing, because I remember when I was a kid – and driving in my dad's car back when, you know, we were surprised that gas was a dollar um, and realizing what fossil fuels were, what gas was, and just getting really anxious about what happens when we use it all up, you know, and trying to do the math in my head of how many gallons can there actually be under the ground, right? Um, and so I forget where I was going with that. But yeah, it does sound it does sound like if a kid can sit there and think, okay, there's a problem with this, that there's an entire industry built on uh, the probability that we will never run out. um, Maybe that there are some older people out there who should have absolutely known better. So it is a common sense problem that it it is. And there are solutions. We were ignoring it for a long time. Right. And there are solutions. Um, this, For one, this is not our first rodeo. This is not the first time that as a nation we had to address a fuel so- source that was immoral. So if you look back to colonial America. Coal. No, before that. Uh, kerosene. Before that. Sand. I don't know what. <laughs> what was human labor. Ah, yes. Of enslaved humans from Africa. This country ran on slave power. Yeah. Right? Um, And the government 
ran on slave power. Business ran on slave power. And individual homes did as well. If you lived in the colonial America, in the north or the south, pretty much any product you touched um, had behind it human labor that mm-hmm. was forced labor that was immoral and cheap labor. And what had to have happened was obviously all sorts of all sorts of things to challenge that system, including convincing white Christians that it was immoral to own human beings, <laughs> which, you know, it was like that was a reality that yeah. like most white Christians in colonial America and then in the United States had no problem owning other human beings in yeah. the name of Jesus. And so, I mean, you think about the huge, huge things that had to be overcome, like the kind of money that people were making, the kind of luxury they were enjoying because they were exploiting other people. Mm-hmm. And that that had to be taken on. And in that case, it, it led to a war. Uh, and we're still recovering from that oppression. I mean, you know, it's not that this is all done, right? Yeah. But one of the things that happened was Amer- America had to find a new way to energize itself. And then this was also, when slavery was ending, it was also the beginning of the Industrial Revolution. Yeah. Um, the major oil that we were using up until then was whale oil. And there were people going off and murdering whales left and right and using whale oil to do a lot of stuff. And then that got replaced by coal and then by petroleum. So we're talking about 19th century technology that we're using today. And a lot of people, this is the good, this is one piece of good news. A lot of people like newer technology. I don't care if you're conservative or a liberal, no one's using dial-up landlines anymore. No. Right? Because people want the latest thing. Mm -hmm. And this is true when it comes to energy. For all that people are talking about, you know, holding on to the fossil fuel industry, in Texas right now, it is cheaper to get your electricity and easier in many ways to get it from renewable sources and and windmills and solar than it is to get it from fossil fuels. And that's Texas where the shit comes from. (laughs) (laughs) It's like literally pouring out of the ground. Yeah. Uh, And and among consumers, conservatives there is a really big shift where people are really wanting renewable energy and the and the market for renewable energy has exploded in the past five years and it has actually very little to do with the obama uh, legislation which barely was any legislation because there couldn't be anything through but the executive orders it really is because of the market people just want the clean good stuff and they want the fresh new stuff which is the renewable energy so that that in itself is good news. I actually, you know, obviously there are concerns about the Trump administration on many and almost every front. But the one area that I am most hopeful actually is around getting something done on climate Although they may never call it climate change legislation. They may call it a new jobs bill. They may call it energy independence bill. Okay. But the I reality mean, was if Hillary Clinton had been elected, the the vast majority of lawmakers who are Republicans would have just blocked every single thing she did. Oh, man. But now you've got Republicans and it's their job to – to govern. And I'll give you a good example. But they don't even believe that climate uh, change is real. That's not true, actually. Listeners right, didn't let me hear give you me ex- 
didn't Let hear my eyes understand. roll when you brought up Trump. Okay, continue. I understand. I felt them from over here, the, that <laughs> the rolling of the eye. Here's the deal. I go to Washington, D.C. on a fairly regular basis to talk to lawmakers, particularly Republican lawmakers. Every one of these offices, these Senate and these Congress offices, have young people who just graduated from college, many of them, working as staffers. Yeah. All of them acknowledge that climate change is happening behind closed doors i've never had a lawmaker say to me i don't believe climate change is a real thing what they have problems with are the solutions that have been proposed so far which they see as sort of liberal solutions that have like al gore imprinted all over it and they are freaking out about that but the reality is they are all aware of it and they have indicated behind closed doors multiple times that they're concerned. In fact, there are 15 members of the U.S. Congress who are Republicans who have come out saying they are very concerned about climate change and they're actively seeking solutions. That's not a news story you hear about, no. okay? But that's a reality. They are defectors. And, and even with all of the... Oh, I don't even know how to s describe the Trump appointees in the cabinet. But even with all of that mess, when they were asked about climate change, every one of them admitted that, yes, actually climate change is happening and humans have some cause in it. That is a huge departure from the party line. And that's the leadership of this party. So something has shifted in the past year. And I predict that as we put pressure on them and provide them with solutions, that this administration is actually going to be the one to do something substantive about climate change, as every other Republican administration has done before with environmental issues. Nixon is the one who created the Environmental Protection Agency. Yeah. I mean, you're giving me these facts, or I mean, you're giving me these um passing down a truth from your own lived experience, which are very factual, right? Um, but I guess I'm just so scarred already, scarred, scarred heavy by this administration in these first like two and a half, three weeks, that the only thing that points me to um, the idea that there is hope is knowing that Obama is out there skydiving and wearing his hat backwards. Because if he can do that, then fine. Okay, maybe we'll be okay. Okay, <laughs> right? What, what gives me hope is every night now after dinner, I turn off the internet. And instead, I've been reading. And I've been reading about our ancestors. Yeah. I've been reading about the fierce HIV AIDS activist in the early 90s. I mean, the early 80s. In the early 80s, who at first, there was this disease called GRID, the gay-related immune deficiency, which seemed to only attack gay men. They later renamed it HIV AIDS. And what a desperate time this was. You had Ronald Reagan in power, who was rolling back lots of stuff. He wouldn't even say the words AIDS for his first four years of office. The deadliest president, yeah. In, in liberal New York City, virtually no hospital was taking these grid patients at first. They refused to give them care. I mean, it was horrible. You had people dying. They were finding that they were sick on a Monday, and a month later, they were dead. It was a 100% fatality rate. Funeral homes wouldn't even take our bodies. Yeah. And no one cared, and nobody was listening. And our ancestors, 
they had never organized like this before. They'd never been involved in any kind of any kind of thing like this before. Suddenly, they had to learn new tricks. They had to learn to get along. <laughs> they had to learn how to take on a government that refused to act. They had to take on a public that was hostile. The, the incidence of hate crimes against LGBT people grew as the AIDS crisis grew because there was all this hostility towards us. And it is stunning. I'm reading this book, How to Survive a Plague, and it's a, it's a playbook. <laughs> It is an absolute playbook about how we need to be creative and fierce today in taking on these things. And our ancestors, they, many of them were young in their like 20s. They didn't know a thing. And they literally learned about medical stuff that they schooled the people at the CDC on how to approach this issue. The organization, the creativity, it just moves me so much. And that I learned so much more from that than hanging out on Facebook and Twitter for half the night, which is what I was doing and freaking out and feeling hopeless. Yeah, lots of hopelessness. So what are you saying that that we should be doing that um, going to rallies, creating signs, marching in the streets, um, that's all part of the solution? Well, there's always, whenever there's any need to change the system, there's usually um, two big approaches. One are the external pressures, the you know the direct nonviolent action that you know puts pressure on systems. You know, and it could even be you know what again these AIDS activists they would take over the CDC. They like literally you know barricaded themselves in this building at times, and it meant people did get arrested at times, but you know, showing up is so important and putting that pressure on lawmakers and on leaders that you need to do something. But at the same time, while that's happening, there needs to be other people who are going into those places, reasoning with these people, giving them solutions, giving them ways forward. Going because into places. Going into legislative offices, going, speaking to our lawmakers, um, going to D.C. and making, you know, if you can, make it a practice, whoever can, to do that. If you can't go, your, your local offices. But don't go screaming and yelling and bring all your frustration there. There's a time for that. But go to build relationships. Yeah. Go to bring answers. Go to get information. When I go to these congressional offices... Partly what I'm doing is I'm asking questions and it's amazing the sort of things they share with me, even giving me strategy of how to go about proceeding and who to talk to. I mean, I've had Republican staffers really just give me all sorts of information that has been incredibly helpful to me. I mean, in my I, work. I absolutely love what you're doing. And um, a couple of podcasts ago, we had Amanda Lynn Holmes get on the air and talk about how to approach your, your legislators and how to uh, jump on board with that. Um, and I guess I have I have two questions for you because I want listeners to know why I invited Peterson Toscano onto a podcast about God, sex, and the Bible to talk about climate change. You know, um, so one is what organizations can I tap into to? I mean, because nobody is just going to walk up. I mean, drive to D.C. and you know knock on some doors, right? So who who do I who do I go to, or or what organizations are you partnering with in order to do this? For this work of connecting with lawmakers, one of the best ones around climate I've been working with is called Citizens Climate Lobby. 
and it's citizensclimate.org. And what's lovely about them is they always lead with respect and gratitude. They've got a very straightforward proposal and they do lots of really great training and they're really like inspiring. They're really trying to humanize the other. And they also have connected with a lot of conservatives and Republicans who are concerned about climate change and bringing them out and amplifying their voices because those voices need to be heard so that the administration sees there are Republicans and conservatives who are really concerned about this as well as liberals and progressives. Yeah. So that's one really good group. Um, another group that says this sort of same sort of work, but with lots of different issues is um, the FCNL, which is a, a Quaker uh, advocacy group that does lobbying and they mm -hmm. do things about social justice, a lot of stuff around prisons, anti-war. Um, and again, what's nice about their, their method is they are building relationships and they do really good training. They have um, lobby days for college students and for people outside of college. Uh, and, and that's a really great group as well. So those are two citizens climate lobby and FCNL. I find, um, if you want to do that kind of lobbying work, those are two really good ones. Okay. Wonderful. Um, yeah, that's, that's definitely something that I would, I would have to look into. Um, not just blowing smoke up your ass. I'm definitely interested. <laughs> and they are both very LGBTQ friendly. Um, FCNL in particular because of its Quaker roots yeah. and that sort of thing. But uh, Citizens Climate Lobby, they have LGBTQ people on staff and they've hired me to do their podcast. And I am Cheers. like the yeah. gayest thing around. <laughs> <laughs> well, that leads me to my second question, you know, which was why should I as a queer Christian person give a shit about this or why should I add this cause on onto the many other things that I'm fighting for right now? I'll give you three very straightforward, simple reasons. <laughs> One, climate actually affects LGBT people specifically in ways that it doesn't with straight people, which seems weird, but climate change actually affects women globally more than men. It affects people of color more than white people, and it affects poor and working class more than middle class and rich people. So basically, climate change, the way it acts, it's sexist, racist, and classist. Okay. Things we know about. But also, when it comes to LGBT people, it does affect us differently. Give you two examples. One, every major city in the U.S., there are people living on the streets, and there are homeless youth. Yeah. It, that homeless youth population, up to 40% are LGBTQ kids. Mm -hmm. These are the ones who can't handle it at home. They're not going to take their lives. They're going to just take matters into their own hands. They move to the city. And they typically are a fairly isolated group because they don't like going to shelters often because shelters are not safe spaces for them typically. Yeah. Shelters are often run by churches, so you don't know where they stand with the queer thing. Mm -hmm. And shelters are highly gendered spaces. Mm -hmm. Boys there, girls there. Well, you've got trans kids, gender queer kids, you know, they're not, you know, that's not safe for them. So they don't go. So one of the projections with climate change is we're going to see more frequent and more severe storms. So Superstorm Sandy, Hurricane Katrina, where do these kids go when these storms come? Do we know? Are we specifically building shelters and setting up shelters that are explicitly LGBTQ friendly? To me, that's a queer family values issue mm -hmm. um, because our population is specifically affected by that. Yeah. 
Here's another example. LGBTQ seniors, senior citizens, by and large, they don't experience the same kind of equality and freedom as their straight counterparts. For one, because of the history of homophobia and transphobia, they may have been underemployed. Um, They may be isolated from family. Even if they have children, they may not always have the best relationship with their children. Um, If they've had partners, maybe their partner died and they never got that inheritance. Well, if you were straight, all those conditions would be different. And any elderly population, there's often fixed budgets and, you know, and, and, and difficulties, but it's worse for LGBTQ seniors. One of the features on a changing planet is we're going to have more extreme heat events with more heat waves. Mm-hmm. And elderly people in particular are vulnerable to sickness and death during heat waves. After, after 95 degrees, it's really hard for their bodies to adjust. And you had in, in Europe a couple of years ago a huge heat wave and tens of thousands of senior citizens died in two what? days. It was crazy. Where and the only, yeah, I know. It was hardly ever reported, but it was massive. And the hospitals were like, why are all these older people coming? And they just hit that threshold. And most people in France don't have air conditioning because it's not really something that was needed until recently. One of the the best things you do to protect yourself is to run your AC 24-7, which is expensive. And if you're on a fixed budget, you have to choose, well, is it going to be food or AC? So are there cooling centers that are specifically welcoming of LGBTQ seniors? When it gets over 95 degrees, are there churches and LGBT resource centers and other spaces that automatically open their doors and and just let the community come in and provide activities and services and snacks, which I think would actually strengthen the community? Do we have a list of the LGBTQ seniors in our communities? Are we checking in with them before, during, and after extreme weather events and extreme heat waves? That to me is a queer family values issue that will only grow more on a changing planet. Agreed. So that's one way. We're directly affected. Two, we are seriously needed because these straight folks are so uncreative when it comes to this stuff. All they can always talk about incessantly are about the damn polar bears, which is an (laughs) awful lot of white power bear privilege, and and future generations. Like We need to do it for the children and the grandchildren. And it's not that I'm insensitive towards either polar bears or future generations, but... I don't have any skin in that game and that I don't have any children. And now some of us do, but it's not easy if you're queer to get children. It's very hard to think about future generations. Um, I don't think that, yeah, humans in general, we find that hard. It is hard. And I also think there's something problematic always sort of like glorifying the child, um, you know, and, and doing it for this future generation as if there's no other compelling reason to, to, well, to, to save civilization and everything we care about. I want to let you finish, but I also, I mean, I think a lot of people aren't interested in, uh, well, I want to say the the universal us, like, we don't care about climate change, because um, we believe that God is coming back for us. And maybe this is just part of the world falling apart. Your face, you're cracking up right now. But listen, this is a serious issue amongst conservatives that Jesus is coming back. And um, we shouldn't spend our time thinking about this stuff because it doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. Like the world isn't supposed to last that long. 
Yeah, there are some Christians that that's how they see the world. And I think that there are really helpful talking points to help them see other things. I mean, the same Bible that they're looking at talks about how much of an abomination it is to poison a well. Okay. It, it tells stories about people who were supposed to be taking care of a vineyard and they were irresponsible and they were judged for that. Yeah. Um, I'm just saying it just adds to the vagueness, you know, just the vagueness of this future thing that we're supposed to be caring about, like the polar bears and the children. But I'm just saying that there's this added side to it as well. Um, I think especially for maybe the parents of some of these, some of my listeners um, that, you know, there's just a lot of things to uh, to navigate through when yeah. advocating for climate change. I mean, even in your own head, you know. Well, and that's why, as a gay guy, I've been looking at queer responses to climate change. And yeah. part of it is to say, okay, let's take the polar bear and the kids off the table for a, re- mm-hmm. a minute. Mm-hmm. Why else should we do this? And I have literally... <laughs> <laughs> like come up with like a hundred reasons to do this like coffee for instance i love coffee. so i love coffee right it is the elixir of life and yes. it is my drug of choice it yes. really is it's a performance enhancement drug well the climate isn't just warming in the arctic it's also warming in central america where there's now a disease a fungus that's spreading like wildfire attacking coffee plants now i'm interested <laughs> It's called coffee leaf rust. Sign and not only, we not only is it meaning disease. that like coffee that we like is harder to grow and getting more expensive, but then also the people growing it, yeah. it's harder for them to make a living, which oh, is displacing see, them. They're moving into cities which are unsafe. They're trying to come north, but of course they're running into all these immigration issues. Suddenly that cup of coffee on a changing planet, well, there's a lot of stuff going on there. Yeah. And, and and so I think that, like, it's important. Let's talk about coffee and climate change because um, there's a lot going on there. I talk to people a lot about pets. They're far more interested to talk to me about their pets than about right. climate change. <laughs> and so I asked them, I said, well, how might climate change affect pet ownership? So, for instance, when there is an extreme weather event, which we're seeing more of, mm-hmm. people often have to evacuate but they often can't bring their pets with them, particularly if they're going to a shelter. Fluffy gets left behind. No. Wally is left behind. No. Skeeto or whatever the, the, the creature's name is left behind. There are horrible stories of atrocities that happened in New Orleans to humans and to animals. Hmm. The animals, I mean, these, these pet owners, they left their homes thinking, it's a hurricane, we'll be back in a day or two, put food out. In some cases... They didn't come back in for weeks or months or never. And, and you know, just considering, like, what happens to an animal during extreme weather events, there are actually people now developing emergency pet shelters so that when there is an event, that there's a place that people can bring their pets so that their pets are protected and they can be reunited after the storm. Peterson, this got really sad. You've managed to somehow c- touch my cold, dead heart, so... Um, what? So you <laughs> already have skin in the game. It's just my <laughs> job to pull back that curtain. I mean, if anybody can see my Instagram, half the pictures are just of my cat, Teddy, because he's the most handsome little man I have ever encountered. Um, so, okay, now that I have skin in the game, what is the ultimate, what is our, what is our ultimate goal? So are we just screwed with, 
you know, really bad weather for forever? Or, you know, what are we trying to do with these, um, with the gas stations, with, you know, this whole industry, you know? Well, the reality is the, the climate has already changed. Winters are different than when they, when we were kids. They're not the same winters. Um, uh, and we're seeing the effects of climate change happening. There are more droughts. There are more of these extreme weather events. And that is something that is not going to be undone. But we can work very hard to transition, have a great transition from dirty to clean energy mm-hmm. so that we don't continue to pollute. Okay. And so there is a such thing as clean energy. There is totally. And there's there's actually a lot of these energy companies, they're sitting on patents that they don't want released because they're still making money from fossil fuels. Once there is political will and fossil fuels are priced, you know, there's put a price on carbon, in some cases banned, you know, who knows what solutions they're going to come up with. Suddenly that will bring about a lot of innovation. If you look at what happened with the tobacco industry, a lot of similarities here. You had an industry that was serving a product that a lot of people liked, that was fairly inexpensive, and that was dangerous, but they were lying to people and telling them, no, 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 we're not sure if it's really dangerous, keep smoking. Even the Flintstones sold cigarettes back in the day, okay? And then something happened when those lies were uncovered, Mm -hmm. they had to pay some fines, and there was like some real work done, and then suddenly they began to see, oh, there are health costs to these cheap cigarettes. So now in every state, there are taxes that are actually put on cigarettes. Now it's gotten so expensive to smoke that people have cut back. They've quit. The the um, There's also, it's harder to smoke in public. There are less places to smoke yeah. in public. And so the smoking rates have dropped dramatically in America and new industries have formed to find alternatives, the whole vaping industry and all that stuff. And so this is how it works. You can tell people, look at those nasty, dirty lungs or bad breath or whatever. And people are like, yeah, but I'm enjoying my cigarette. You raise the price, you make it a little bit harder to smoke. It will change people's behavior. Mm. Similarly with our energy system, if it is more expensive to use fossil fuels, businesses and the government will be the first to say, hell no, we're going to go to the cheapest thing. Suddenly investors will say, oh, the money is in renewable. So I'm going to invest my money in that. I'm going to divest from from fossil fuels because that's a dying industry. I'm going to put my money into windmills, into solar and this new technology. And you you jumpstart this going on. So there are ways forward, but there are two very important things that are needed. And I think LGBT people have a big role on this. One is to educate ourselves. And up until now, when people read about climate change, It's mostly a story about how stupid a climate denier is. And wow, I'm so glad I'm not stupid. You don't learn anything from that story. Mm -hmm. But what we just talked about, asking questions, well, how does climate change affect my pet? Or golf, if you like that game. (laughs) Or avocados or wine or whatever it is that you care about or, you know, homelessness. And then just educate yourself about that. So that's A. B, talk about it. Just like in the HIV AIDS crisis, silence equals death. Hmm. People are not talking about climate change. That's why I really am so grateful that you have me on your show because people are so scared of this issue and so overwhelmed that they just don't talk about it. But we have the responsibility, particularly if you live in America, to break the collective silence. 
and to you know give people hope, give people direction, but also to talk about what we're learning because we need to get people really engaged in this so that we demand action. Because I think all of these issues that we're dealing with, LGBT issues, women's issues, um, incarceration, policing, all these things are really important. But if we don't have a sustainable functional planet, no matter what gains we make are going to be destroyed when these storms come and when the food shortages come, mm. and then we'll see some real human rights abuses. I mean, right. even greater. And so this is an issue that touch all of us. And it also means that we can partner with people who are very different from us because mm. we are suddenly on the same ship together. I see that. And, yeah. You know, we need yeah. each other. Snaps to that. And our creativity is really, really needed because we do have fresh creative ways of looking at the world. We're intersectional and that we understand how people of color are affected more in the LGBT community already by all sorts of things. Yeah. On a changing climate, we understand that that happens as well. Um, and we, you know, what's cool about LGBTQ people, we're everywhere. We're in every congressional district. We're in every <laughs> demographic, every race, every class. We are everywhere. And that's not true of most other groups. Yes. That's one of our strengths. That is one of our strengths. I mean, I used to think of it as a weakness because it was hard to kind of see through the crowd and say, Hey, this is, these are my people. Um, but I don't know, we found different ways of connecting. So yeah, we are very intersectional and we figure out, we figured it out. We're super creative. Peterson, I'm so glad you came on here to talk about climate change as well. And thank you, um, for helping me see the light. You know, I think after, after a while, people do get a little calloused about, you know, hearing recycle, 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 and, um, not quite knowing what else they can do about it, but you have given me hope even in our Republican-heavy administration. Um, I will not admit it to anyone else after this, but uh, it's out there. <laughs> Peterson, where can people find out more about you and the work that you're doing? Well, I have a website, petersontoscano.com, mm -hmm. uh, and I'll be coming out very soon with a film of my Transfigurations Bible ah, characters yes. that is almost done. I mean, it is really close, and that will be available through Quaker Books. Um, I have... A website about climate, it's called Climate Stew, like mm -hmm. a stew that you eat, S-T-E-W, yes. climatestew.com. And there's lots of comedy and queer responses to climate change there. And I'm the host of Citizens Climate Radio, um, which is available on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, that sort of thing. And again, I'm looking for solutions. And I interview conservatives who are concerned about climate change as well as progressives and i interview a lot of women people of color and people outside the u.s because i like to get lots of different perspectives that are not often heard in this issue cheers thanks peterson thank you crystal thanks for having me on if you want to hear more from peterson you can find his links on my website and while you're there, take a look at the submission page for our Bible app. We are still accepting devotionals, so get yours in while you can. That's crystalcheatham.com slash submissions. And now, it's that time again, where you listeners get to write in with questions about God, sex, and the Bible. If you have a question for Rev Sex, write to hi at crystalcheatham.com. And now, Rev Sex. Yeah, so there's an, um, 
there's an entire network of these kinds of conservative um, radio stations and TV stations, right? And that's, uh, for our listeners, that's why we brought Joss onto the podcast today. Say hi, Joss. Hi. (laughs) Um, To talk a bit about um, some of these other harmful networks um, that just broadcast all of this conservative alt-right, actual alt-right material um, and what it's actually doing to um, our media environment. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Um, So, uh, yeah, I am with Soul Force, and a lot of my work that I'm doing these days is doing a lot of research um, on the political and media arms of the right, um, and particularly the Christian right, and how um, how different like social and political changes and structures we're moving through in this moment are also connected to um, some of the most pervasive messaging around our queer and trans bodies and lives and experiences. And so I would entirely echo everything that Alba said. And I think also um, when I think about the harm that that pervasive media and messaging has on our bodies and our spirits, I think it also serves, I listen to this stuff maybe every other day as I just drive through um, making my way through the world. Um, and you actually turn on conservative talk radio. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a, it's a part of what feels really important as a, like, as somebody who's really committed to this work is like to be wrestling with the, with the messaging. That is ballsy. Like, what do you, I mean, listening to that kind of content day in, day out, like, don't you just like go and cower under a bed or I guess it, it really inspires you to get out there and do something. I mean, I think that it, could totally have the that effect of like having me just totally terrified and not sure of myself. But what um, it what is life? I turn towards what is life giving more often than anything like that. If I'm spending an hour of day listening to talk radio, I I also have grounding in my own soul power, soul force, um, and uh, find a lot of uh, I have been building through soul force and through work like the Art Bible app and, and the work that other contributors to that are coming through, um, that sort of spiritual resiliency to be able to to do that work, which I hope for all of our people and is a part of the thing, figuring yeah. out what are the most pervasive messages of the right um, in terms of what is harming in the current moment our people and what specific kinds of language to be able to figure out what is the, what's the counter narrative that is going to be the most critically needed at the moment. So you listen to this every day so that you can try and figure out a counter message. Yes, absolutely. And counter work to do. Yeah. Um, what kind of work are you actually able to, what have you come up with? I don't know. How You've been working on this for a year or two? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one of the things that uh, is most striking to me right now is um, particularly around last year's um, political moment around HB2 in North Carolina um, HB2 is... HB2 being the um, the quote-unquote bathroom bill, the anti-trans yeah, um, bill that was passed uh, in North Carolina last year that sort of was a part of a couple of um, bills that were put through many, um, many state legislatures, um, particularly in the South. And so what we saw, what I heard particularly in listening to media at the time on the right was... Um, alongside these things happening in the state legislators, also um, a, a call from conservative talk radio, particularly of the religious right, to mobilize folks and influence folks to, um, to vote, saying, like, 
now is the moment. We have like this this moment to turn the tides, as they say, um, and to be able to push back against our country going too far against common sense, air quotes all over the place mm-hmm. for our listeners. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so I see it as like that particular work around messaging is one flank of a huge movement that we need to be doing okay. um, because that that political work doesn't doesn't just stay in the legislature and it doesn't stay in that in that sphere. It's about creating messaging um, and and a broader a broader movement that works with a lot of different moving parts, um, which is why I think this work is so important that we do together. Thank you. Yeah. So you are listening to is there like a single hub of of like radio stations? Yeah, so there are uh, quite a few hubs, but one of the ones that particularly I work on in SoForce has been tracking for uh, a couple of years now, maybe even a decade, is called the National Religious Broadcasters. And we track them in particular because they are just so large and so far-reaching, with over 1,400 affiliate member stations um, all around the world, and particularly mobilizing um, resources to the global south, so um, sub-Saharan Africa, Latin America, and the Caribbean, um, and much of South Asia, and reach something like, uh, is it 12? 12 to 15 million homes. Wow. Um, And so it's really important to know that, for example, the NRB in their code of conduct explicitly states that no um, no affiliate station, in order to to sustain their affiliation status, is allowed to to uh, retain quote unquote non biblical views, uh, particularly around adultery and homosexuality, as they name. Um, and so that kind of rhetoric being espoused all over the place, alongside their um, conventions, which happen every year, which pull together not only media platform. Um, huge platforms and media moguls and stars from all over, but also the political wings. Um, And so NRB Mm. has close ties to um, a legal guild called Alliance Defending Freedom, um, which has been aiding and abetting HB2 in North Carolina alongside some really nasty, um, same sort of like copycat legislation um, around, uh, around trans our trans justice, trans rights, um, all over, both here in the U.S. and also in the global South. That's a shame. Yeah. You come up, you, you have been monitoring basically the national religious broadcasters. I don't know if you listen to the same station every day and you have been figuring out what their messaging is. Um, what do you, what's, what's the next step? Like, I don't even know. Yeah. So, um, a part of the work that we do is really just, to continue to let folks know that this is how it works. Like it is, um, it is, it doesn't have to be a surprise every time we have a politician like Trump elected into office. And it doesn't, when, when we tie together the strings of how exactly Christian supremacy works as an institution, which is not just like the politics of the thing, quote unquote, the politics being just like what laws are passed and created and formed. Um, but also the messaging um, that is particularly like melded um, through scripture and scriptural analysis when we're talking about how these things are connected back to God um, and connected back to our people therein. And so um, so we do a little bit of that messaging work. Uh, and particularly right now, what we're gearing up for this season is um, something that we, we did last year as well, which is going down literally to the convention and, um, 
And so every year, the National Religious Broadcasters has a convention in um, in February. And last year, and for many years past, have been in Nashville. Uh, and this year, for whatever reason they had determined, they decided to host it in Orlando, um, just minutes, literally, from uh, the site of the Pulse Massacre. Jeez. Um, yeah. Is the audacity for yeah. them to go down there um, in that when the grass hasn't grown over our dead, you know, that 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 is absolutely unacceptable. And so Soul Force will be showing out um, in full force, both hosting online, um, you know, more information about the National Religious Broadcasters and, and what they do and, and how this messaging connects to these greater systems and how we how we need to resist this and continue to resist, um, but also showing up. So, um Last week at Creating Change, which is one of the U.S.'s largest LGBT activist conference, um, we built a living altar of resistance and con- like collected both wooden doves that were decorated with messages to Orlando and also any energy and any, um, any offerings anybody wanted to make into the altar um, in the spirit of resistance and mourning and joy and um, all of that energy, that sacred queer, queer, queer energy. Um, and we're bringing it down to Orlando to hold 86-hour vigil over the entirety of the conference um, in order to to show up and to resist. How many hours? 86 hours, A more vigil. or less, maybe more. Yes. So 24 hours, as long as the NRB is there, we will be in vigil. What does in vigil mean? Like standing and holding candles or in prayer or in song or just in worship all around? Yeah. Near the conference, in the conference? Um, I to be determined. <laughs> we have no plans of being arrested at this time, but should okay. Marriott decide that that is the Marriott who identifies as strongly LGBTQ friendly and affirming? Yeah, they have a thing that says "Love Travels," which is LGBT people should feel safe in the Marriott mm-hmm. any place in the world. I have a perfect one hundred percent rating of it. And they're hosting this conference. They're yeah. hosting this conference. So should they decide that they want to arrest a group of brown and queer LGBT people in the city of the Pulse Massacre for standing up to homophobia and transphobia uh, in their hotel, then that is something that we will consider and look into while we are there. Wow, you guys are killing it. That's that's so strong. That's so brave. That's so big. Yeah. So how, how, can, how can people get involved? How can people... Um, help with whatever it is you're trying to accomplish? All sorts of ways. And one of the easiest ways is going to our website, soulforce.org forward slash keep hyphen pulse hyphen alive. And um, there you can download um, a paper dove to to send with your message to Orlando, which will be added to our um, our living altar in a, in a flock hanging. Um, the hope is to have a huge cloud um, not only of in-person witnesses, but also of, of birds that are colorful and decked out with messages from all over the world. Um, the unofficial um, motto is honor the dead and fight like hell for the living. And that's the idea mm-hmm. of like, even if folks can't be there in person, like how do, how do we represent in physical form that we are a many people and that we will fight for each other and we will fight for the lives of each other. I love this. So, yeah. so Soul Force in itself is um, an LGBT activist organization. Mm-hmm. Is Soul Force also spiritual, or why are they tacking themselves onto 
um, the National Religious Broadcasters. Yeah, well, part of it is like political in the sense that the religious right um, that really funds an incredible number of legislation and um, cultural wars against our LGBTQ people and people of color and women. Mm -hmm. Um, Anywhere Christianity in particular is weaponized against our people, that is where sulfur shows up. But um, for me specifically, this action is really important. Can you you skip some a little bit? You can come up here and wait, but we're recording, so we have to... So for me in particular, this action is really important because this is actually spiritual warfare. I would argue that in this particular moment, we are absolutely at war for the spirits and souls and lives of our people. And that combating that death isn't just about politics, it's also about the spirit. And so what it means for us um, to say that like we will go to the places that are violent and hostile against us, and we will not take violent action, but we will absolutely interrupt and stand in the way of the spiritual violence that leads to physical deaths of our people and say, this is sacred land. This is land where our brothers and sisters have been murdered. This is land that is filled with um, very deep mourning and sorrow that is still grieving and that it is disrespectful and we are not, we're not somewhere else. We are right here. And when you descend in mass on a place that is still grieving from this massacre, you will not be here and not be met with resistance. Mm. And so it's about the spiritual warfare for me in particular that makes it, that is absolutely our fight. So whether or not I ascribe to Christianity or a different faith or no faith at all, but I understand that this specific thing is evil, it is still my responsibility in all the ways that I am able and all of us are able to show up to resist that, especially in solidarity with each other. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely going to go to the website, fill out my my dove. Come to Orlando. Yeah, that's the other ask is... um, Come to Orlando. I mean, if you also, if if anybody out there lives in the Florida area, please connect with us at the same website um, about helping to volunteer with housing also because we're hoping that folks will show up. And if you live anywhere and want to come and... uh, and throw down on the vigil and be with us um, and be a part of the cloud of witnesses, um, then that is, that's that and exciting. Just let us know you're coming. Come to the website um, and uh, fill out the form and we'll see you there. Okay, bye.